There is one thing that substitute teachers know more about than regular teachers, and it's how to compare schools because we've seen them all. You've heard me say before that I have substitute taught in eight different schools now, and I'm going to guess you already know this, but there was eight different ways of doing things, and I thought it might be worthwhile, especially as we head into the summer months, to compare schools. Not by names, of course. There are things that I absolutely loved And there are things that I absolutely did not care much for at each and every school. And I'm not an expert, but I'm just going to give you my observations. And you know that I bill myself as a student advocate. I will always do that. And while I might allude to how certain things help schools out, help teachers out, I'm probably going to approach most of it from the standpoint of the students. And what I see in their reaction to the way some things are set up at the various different schools. Now, let's use one philosophy as our theme, okay? I want you to right now, substitute teachers and teachers, think back to your least favorite teacher you ever had. And I don't, you, you're not allowed to say you liked them all because you didn't. Think of your least favorite teacher. And then ask yourself, are you treating any of your students like that teacher treated you? And if so, why? You hated it when you were treated that way. Let's flip it around. Think back to your favorite teacher of all time. Are you treating your students the way that that teacher treated you? And if not, why not? I mean... That should be the overall theme here as we walk through some of these things that I've seen at the various different schools. I also say, please try not to have the attitude that I'm glad, you know, I want you to be proud of the school you work for. You should be. If you don't enjoy working there, well, maybe it's time to think of going somewhere else. But you enjoy working at the school you're at, most likely. But even given that, you can still learn some things from other schools and other things that have worked out for them. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish here. I'm going to start with the teaching aspect, and we are going to spend some time on the social aspect of the schools as well. First of all, Let me mention this, and again, every time I mention a school or something a school is doing in a negative way, I will also tell you that I enjoyed everything about teaching at that school, so it really has nothing to do with that, but it's my observations. Take a look at the way your grading system is set up. Now, I'm not really talking about how formative or non-test type assignments are a certain percentage of the student's grade, and summative, or the testing type of assignments, are another percentage of the total grade, so that one gets more weight over the other. 
What I'm referring to is within those categories, how much does each piece have? And the reason I say all that is that I have been to schools that they made one particular item, for instance. Maybe it was a software that the school liked or some type of education system that had been marketed to them. They've spent the money on it. So it was almost like do or die. It's sunk cost. We spent the money on it. We are going to make this work no matter how inconvenient it is. Well, I've seen that. And I've also seen how it affects the students. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. Some of the programs that some schools have going on It's such a high percentage that it becomes inconvenient and confusing, not only for the student, but the teacher too, because it requires the teachers to have so much follow-up to try to get the kids on board that it really becomes quite the hassle. And so I say all that to say this about this one. I'll just go ahead and mention there was a certain school that had built had paid for a certain type of program that they then built into such an enormous part of the grade that if the student got behind, their grades dropped immediately. At the same time, once they made those up, I've seen them go up two letter grades in 24 hours. Now, I'm not sure that's the best thing we can shoot for, but I would encourage you as within the formative and summative categories, when you're putting things together, think of programs that are going to be self-explanatory to the students. Use the ones that are going to be simplest, and I'm not talking about in the content, but in the ease of use, simplest to learn in the ease of use, and then Rather than load all the assignments at one time, load them a little bit at a time so that students aren't overwhelmed in what they see in their assignments and they get so much done in a certain time period. Here's what I've seen. Here's why I even make this as an observation. I have been to schools in which, you know, it's okay to give the teacher some freedom. I think that's the way the schools should do. But each teacher then has the option of choosing their own teaching-type programs, teaching-type scenarios, and that's what the students get grade on. I have walked into classrooms, and I mean in the middle of the year, after students had already been using a teacher's program for four months, and I walk in there, and the assignment had been given to them on the same program, and maybe 40% of them were lost. They didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. I'm going to assume that when the teacher is in that room, they go around and make sure that each one of them knows where to go to find their assignment. If they don't, make it more simple than that. If you're spending a lot of time in just finding the assignment, as opposed to doing the assignment, well, maybe it's time that you look elsewhere for what you want those students to use 
to learn. That's all I'm saying. So the tools you use, make sure the ease of use of them are very simple in nature so that the kids can immediately get on to their lessons at hand. And and maybe consider not making them such a high percentage of the grade because if they're confused and they get behind and they get behind some more and they get behind for some more and all of a sudden this A student sees they have a C, that's going to be a panic situation. So, you know, you can make things easy on yourself. Don't be so married to something you've chosen for your class that you refuse to say that there's something better out there that may work out better for the students. So that's item number one. Use things that are simple for the students to use and do not overwhelm them because of their complexity from the beginning. Next on the list, I would look for something that gives your students the opportunity for second chances. Now, you can say as much as you want to, a test is a test is a test, an assignment is an assignment. They either know it or they don't. But let's face it, our goal should be to make sure those students learn. That means if a student was confused, took their test, and they got an F, it's okay to give them another chance because in that other chance, they're actually going to learn some things that they didn't learn the first time. So I'm going to mention a couple of programs that are like this. It doesn't necessarily have to be them. I know when you give an assignment with Khan Academy, now I don't do that as much as I used to for various different reasons. There's so many tools out there. I won't get into Khan Academy. Maybe later in the summer we'll have a specific show on that. But the one thing I do like about Khan Academy is that it's set up so that the students can take assignments multiple times and the questions are randomized and sometimes they won't even get the same questions. So to me, that is a perfect way to learn. If I go into Khan Academy, look at my assignment and I miss five out of 10, I am disappointed but I am glad that I can go back and try to study up on some things. I can go back and watch videos. I can go back and watch the diagrams and the written, you know, the textual version on the screen of how things should be done. Then I can go back in and take that assignment again. And I'm going to do better. And guess what? I've learned in the process. If I don't get that second chance opportunity, all I've learned is I'm in trouble. And maybe I should have asked more questions. Maybe I should have paid more attention. But using this second chance method, it also gives me the opportunity to learn, enhance my learning. And that's what students need to be doing. They don't need to be learning only about how they should have been paying more attention, given that they didn't, well, how can we make them learn now? Can we, do we make them suffer all year trying to get that first grade brought up, up back up to something respectable? 
or will they, in fact, learn more if we give them a second chance with those assignments? So I admire the teachers that allow students to take assignments multiple times, realizing that each time that they retake it, they are learning even more and more. Now, know when to be fun and know when to be serious. There are, you know, I'll just use math as an example. There are certain times when I really have to drill formulas and memorization into the students to make sure that they're understanding. But every chance I get to make the activity fun in class, make sure you go for that. The schools that I have seen that the students enjoy an activity most is when they're not only learning, but they can have fun while they're doing it. I'll give you an example. One of the classic things that are done, and when you're talking about proportions or measurements, however you want to lump it into a category, is when you give a student a three-ounce container and a five-ounce container and tell them that they have to measure exactly four ounces and show it to you. Well, you could sketch that up on the whiteboard. You could give that to them on the sheet of paper. But if you have the facilities in your room or you can get access to them, make that a hands-on thing. The time that I did this with students, I actually learned it at another school, and it's the only school that I'd seen do something this way when they're, they were teaching that particular concept is they had water and sinks and towels, and they let the kids have fun filling up the containers. They had containers for each school team. And anytime, you know, the schools that I've seen that have been the most successful at the kids really coming out excited about what they learned that day is when it was hands-on and they designed an activity for them to do, such as giving each classroom team a three-ounce container, a five-ounce container, and tell them the goal is to give you exactly four ounces. Now, hopefully, guys, you know how to do that. If not, maybe I'll save that for the end of the episode and see if you have it figured out between now and then. But make class fun. That Comparing schools, the teachers, that the schools that seem to do the best job of educating, I'm telling you, and the kids actually having fun learning are the ones that use those hands-on activities to teach those kids. Think for a moment and see if you think it is a better teaching environment if the students walk around and see how the teachers work together and actually enjoy working with each other, or Do they occasionally see teachers getting snotty with each other? Maybe this is more of a teacher thing than a school thing, but I have noticed that. Now, say what you will behind closed doors. You've got enough meetings that you can gripe at each other then outside of the view of the students. But when you're around with students, I've seen, to me, the camaraderie is strongest at the school's where it at least appears that the teachers get along with each other and enjoy being there and working with each other. So work work on that. Make sure that we all work together. Kids are not going to enjoy coming to school 
if they think that those in charge are not enjoying their work environment either. So that's, that's one we can put to use as well. Let's get to a bit of the social aspect. Now, you can't do this at every school, but I thought it was kind of cool that one of the schools I went to, I walked in. Now, you can't do this with every age group, but I walked in and I wrote my name on the board. And one of the students, this, I, I don't even, I was going to tell, say what grade it was in, but I, I'd rather keep that anonymous, I guess. But they said, Can I go to Mr. So and so's class today? He's making waffles. Thursday is waffle day. Well, I let them do that. They came back with their waffles. That's just a little small thing teachers can do to just add that little bit to class. Yeah, we're going to learn science today, but why don't we learn science while we're eating a waffle? In my case, I'm not a very good cook. You've heard my story before about taking the Kopi Luwak coffee into one of my classes and buying cupcakes that day. We didn't party all day. We ate that, and they put their sugar rushes to use, and we actually had a good class day that day, too. So little social activities. Think of something you're good at and how you can transport that into the room. I know on occasion, fifth grade teacher who is my wife, she would occasionally take in the pancake griddle, keep it behind her desk so that nobody else could, the kids couldn't get to it or anything like that. And that really meant a lot to them. They still learned that day, but the fact that the teacher thought enough that they brought in something that they could have fun with and a social camaraderie, get more closely together as a group. I thought that was awesome, an awesome idea. Now, this, I'll call this the last one. It's going to have a couple of multiple parts. To me, the schools that have to choose between incentives and penalties for students differentiate themselves in what they choose. I've been to schools that use a combination of both. Some they they might call their program a reward system. They might call it a demerit system. They might call it a combination of both. I can tell you this. It has been my experience that if you call your program a reward system or an incentive-based system, the ones that don't reach that level, to them, it's a penalty. It's a demerit. If you call yours a demerit system, a penalty system, the students that don't have to suffer through those, they think it's a reward system. Now, I've probably soft in this regard. If anybody ever asked me, will you set up a system for our school to help motivate students, it would always be reward-based. I know of one school that they had a very good reward-based levels. I like the levels. Maybe the top level, you get some kind of prize and you get the free snacks for that day. Maybe the next level, only the free snacks. And then the third level, maybe the ones that did not really earn the right in their grades 
to participate, they at least got to participate in the activities that all the kids were doing that day. They weren't eligible for the prizes. They weren't eligible for maybe the free snacks, but they were eligible for something. So to me, that is a multi-level reward system. Whereas if you just do it, this part of the group gets their incentives and their fun day. The rest, they have to work on homework all day. I'm not crazy about that. That is a penalty system. And it'd be hard for you to convince me otherwise. So the schools that I've seen that don't use a penalty system, but instead use an incentive-based system, those seem to be work out best for the students. And I'll be honest, I think that helps motivate them because once a student sees that they're on the penalty side of the argument, it's going to be hard to re-motivate them. But if they know they've got a shot at participating in some of the things, maybe just not the highest level thing, it still kind of gives them a little bit motivation to stay in that situation. i tell you the truth. When I'm at a school that uses these, that has certain activity days, I am always excited to participate in those with the students because maybe this is the best one to mention. All schools need to figure out a way to get to know their students in a non-classroom environment. You do that with field days. You do that with assemblies. You do that by going to their sports activities You do that by maybe talking more jovially when it's orientation day and their parents are with them. All that can be a fun activity. But to me, when you compare schools, the ones that have the best results possibly are the ones that use some type of incentive-based system and not a demerit or penalty type system. And that's basically it. I mean, in a nutshell, don't make your... Teaching tools so overwhelming that the kids spend so much time just learning how to use the tool that they're frustrated by the time they actually get to the assignment. Don't make your tools such a high percentage because, again, that is a demotivator. And once a student gets behind, they just think they're helpless and there's no way to climb out of that. Give students second chances. That helps the learning process rather than just taking a tap on the wrist with a ruler type approach. Use your social activities to get to know those kids better and make sure that we all remember that we want to treat our students the same way that our favorite teacher treated us. You know you do. So that's the thing you need to think about. As far as, let's go back to our three-ounce and five-ounce container example. I'm going to assume that you remember the old show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Well, that's this is an activity that I did it in sixth and seventh grade. It probably would be used in fifth grade as well. So all I'm saying is, if you haven't figured it out by now, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Here's what you do. You fill up the three-ounce container first and pour it in the five. Okay, so you've got now have three ounces in the five ounce container. Fill up the three ounce container again, pour it in the five again until it gets full. 
That means since it only took two ounces to fill up the five-ounce container, that's going to leave you with one ounce in the three-ounce container, right? Now, pour out the five-ounce container, pour that one ounce that's in the three-ounce container, refill, pour that into the five-ounce container, refill the three-ounce container, pour that back into the five as well, one plus three makes four ounces now sitting in that five-ounce container. And I stumbled across my words just enough that I may have confused you. And I know there's some of you out there that are saying, you know, there's other ways to do that because my students do that all the time. When I give them some kind of assignment like that in the class, they say, Mr. Collins, I did that this way. Is this okay? And I always take a look at it. Make sure they got the right answer. And as long as I can see where their, you know, kind of see where their mind was when they were thinking that, well, I certainly give them credit for that and allow them to do it that way. So comparing schools, we can all get better by borrowing all the tools that work best.